Welcome to Take This Poem Podcast, where we explore the rich, wild things that good poems can do in the everyday lives of ordinary folks. I'm your host, Mary Guidis. Whether you're a longtime poetry lover like I am, or just barely interested, I invite you to take this poem. I hope it amends the soil of your life. Hello. This episode is on the plump side. It's going to include three poems by American poet George Bilgeer. My friend and fellow poetry lover Keith seems to be on a George Bilgeer kick right now, and he sent in several recordings of Bilgeer poems, and we've picked three of those to share today. I'm excited about this episode because Bilgeer is such an accessible and everyday type of poet. I was watching a little video on his own georgebilgeer.com website, short little one, and he talked about there being two types of poetry, the kind you can't understand and the kind that you can, and that in the beginning of his career, he felt that he needed to be in the former category, but as time went on, realized that he would rather be in the latter and I think he succeeded. I think you'll recognize a lot of life that's familiar to you in the poems that you hear today. I typed up one sentence he said in that video that I especially liked. He said, I'm thinking, how did I become one of the great mass of people who sort of well keeps America's cars clean and lawns mowed? Exploring ways in which that is poetic or sad or beautiful, that's really exciting to me. And he said this as the video was playing footage of him mowing his lawn in Ohio. So I love that. He's exploring what's poetic, sad, or beautiful about being one of a mass of people who have ordinary lives. The cosmopolitan and the exotic and the political, the mystical, the wilderness, bucking against status quo. Hey, there's a lot of fodder for good poetry there, too. But the fact is that most of us wake up and do a bunch of chores, interact with family and neighbors, and try to keep the pantry stocked and the bikes in working order. But in all those mundane things, if you're paying attention, there is a lot that's beautiful, poetic, and sad, as Bill Gere says, and he's so good at highlighting that in his poetry. So I'm going to let Keith introduce Bill Gere in his own way, then I'll play the three poems that he read. And that will wrap up the episode. Enjoy. I was introduced to the poetry of George Bilgier by my friend and Mary's friend, Dave Mailer. Always been grateful for that. Thank you, Dave. I've read Milton. I've banged my head against... T.S. Eliot's Wasteland and the Four Quartets and W.H. Auden's Age of Anxiety. But I find myself coming back to poetry like Bilgier's that is concerned mostly with what is called the quotidian. In other words, the very familiar daily things of most of our, our life's experience. And I find that uh, I enjoy Bilgier's mining that day-to-day stuff and finding significance in it. 
and communicating that through his poems. He doesn't do a lot with rhyme. He doesn't employ big words or fancy conceits in his work. Uh, But poetry is, as far as I understand it, a combination of both sound and sense. And uh, when read out loud particularly, um, I think it works. Uh, Here's a a few brief comments that were made about his work uh, that I just picked up off of Wikipedia. Michael Salinger, reviewing a reading from his 2010 book, The White Museum, called Bilger dangerously clever and said, Bilger's work is deceptively simple. The accessibility that is so often frowned upon by serious poetry instructors invites readers into George's world of cafes where everyday observations take on archetypal importance. John Freeman, writing in The Plain Dealer, said of Imperial, Manipulating a reader's pace with punctuation or lack thereof, Bilgier gives us the sense we're not just there, we're him, watching. Time speeds up, accelerates, and then it's past. And then Michael Heaton, reviewing Blood Pages for The Plain Dealer, said, When I read his stuff, I always marvel at his ability to take the events of everyday life and make them transcendently sacramental, and at the same time, gently hilarious. I hope you enjoy these. Horseplay I am floating in the public pool, an older guy who has achieved much, including a mortgage, two children, and health insurance, including dental. I have a Premier Rewards gold card from American Express, and my car is large. I have traveled to Finland. In addition, I once met Toni Morrison at a book signing and made some remarks she found extremely interesting. And last month, I was the subject of a local news story called Recyclers, Neighbors Who Care. In short, I am not someone you would take lightly. But when I begin to playfully splash my wife... The teenage lifeguard raises her megaphone and calls down from her throne, No horseplay in the pool! And suddenly, I am twelve again, a pale worm at the feet of a blonde and sun-tanned goddess, and I just wish my mom would come pick me up. The Table I'm helping my brother-in-law knock apart an old table by the tool shed, a table they've loaded with planting pots and fertilizer bags for years until a decade outside in wind and rain has done it in. And suddenly, as in a myth or fairy tale, when the son recognizes his lost father under the rags of an old beggar, I realize It's the kitchen table of our childhood, where my mother and my two sisters and I regathered and regrouped inside a new house in a new state after the divorce. 
the dinner table where we talked about our day, practicing our first fictions over pork chops and mashed potatoes when mom had a job, or fish sticks or fried spam or chicken pot pies when she didn't. Where we dyed our Easter eggs and played through rainy days of scrabble, where I sweated over algebra and the infernal verbs of the Germans. And our mother would finish a bottle of wine and lay her head down and weep over everything, terrifying us into fits of good behavior, of cleaning and vacuuming, until she snapped out of it as if nothing had happened and made it up to us by doing something crazy like making pancakes for supper the table where my uncle got me drunk for the first time and where I sat down to dinner for the last time with my grandmother, the table where my sister announced she was pregnant, where I said that, on the whole, Canada had a lot more to offer than Vietnam, where the four of us warmed ourselves at the fire of family talk, plain brown table of 10,000 meals, I'm starting to sweat now. The hammer overmatched by iron-grained walnut bolted at the joists. It takes a wrench and a crowbar to finally break it down to a splintered skeleton, to the wreckage of an old table built when things were meant to last, like a hardcover book or a cathedral or a family. We stack up what's left for firewood, and call it a day. Strawberries. A white-haired man steps off the sidewalk and fumbles for the keys to his apartment. But it's tricky, because he's balancing a cardboard tray of strawberries, and he's also a bit unsteady, having reached that age when the legs are losing their confidence. Which does not mean, necessarily, that he's old. For all I know, he's walked ten miles today. He's beat. The point is, if you yourself happen to have just turned 65, and you're thinking quite often these days about the very real possibility of becoming old, you start watching for the signs. And thus far, I don't see anything about this guy that clearly, indisputably states that he is old. Although, I would suggest that if you're going to carry a tray of strawberries, brilliantly red and green through the blazing afternoon, be careful not to bear them like a chalice, like a miracle, like a sweet celebration of everything about life it took you all these years to comprehend. Once you start carrying strawberries that way, you're old. Part of my vision for Take This Poem was to have it be interactive. I imagined it as a virtual bonfire poetry reading where friends, family, local poets, and you can come together to warm our hands on some poetry. So what would that look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. 
You could send me a voice recording of you reading a poem to be included in a mailbag poetry reading. Commenting on the poem is welcome, but optional. Don't be shy. It's the only voice you got. What better use for it do you have than reading beautiful words out loud? Also, you could request a poem that you'd like to hear me read and ponder on the show. Or tell me what you've been thinking about these days and I could play literary matchmaker and choose a poem for you. And by the way, I am aware that I have a small but loyal following of youngsters out there and these invitations are all open to them as well. Send any of these or other ideas you have to take this poem podcast at gmail.com and join me in sharing good poems with this little community. I hope to hear from you soon.